0: Hello, adulting well listeners. This is Pepper, aka Joshua, aka Pepper, here to tell you about Anchor. So, we used to host our podcast on another service, and we had the show for maybe three or four years at this point. And we got some metrics and things, but we didn't have a lot to do with them. And we recently switched over to Anchor. And what's amazing about it is it has all the metrics for the show. So, you can see you know, how many downloads you get and things like that, but it, it also lets you engage with the audience, uh, in ways that our old service couldn't. So for instance, we can have polls, we can ask listeners to, uh, leave us messages and questions and things like that. And we can, uh, put them on the air super easily and answer those questions. Just, uh, just one example, but there are just a lot of different ways that we can, um, engage with you now that we're using anchor. So, uh, this is our first ad, and it's for this service that we're using to provide this podcast to you. And I think it's uh, actually a really, really good service. Um, and if you have a podcast, I recommend it. You can download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Uh, thanks for uh, pausing with me for a second. Now, back to the episode. <music> Welcome to the Adulting Will podcast. I am your co-host Joshua and I am joined
1: as always by your co-host Kevin and tonight we are talking with Miriam Klein-Stahl who is a Bay Area artist, educator and activist. Uh, she's also the illustrator for a New York Times best-selling book series called Rad Women. Um, with now four books, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, In addition to her work um, in artistry and printmaking, drawing and sculpture, paper cut, and public art, she's also the co-founder of the Arts and Humanities Academy at Berkeley High School, where where she has taught since 1995. As an artist, she falls in a tradition of making socially relevant work, creating portraits of political activists, misfits, radicals, and radical movements. As an educator, she has dedicated her teaching practice to address quality through the lens of arts. Her work has been widely exhibited and reproduced internationally, which I have a few pieces of, and I pulled out before we started. She's also the co-owner of Pave the Way Skateboards, a queer skateboarding company formed in Los Angeles uh, with the Los Angeles-based comedian, actor, and writer, and skateboarder, Tara Jepsen. Um, She lives in Berkeley, and we just talked about the fact that she is married to Lena Wolf, has a daughter, and they have two dogs. So she's also formerly a volunteer at Epicenter um, and has been involved in punk music and activism for as long as I've known of her, which is amazing because I'm an old guy. And um, most recently, she drew a amazing jawbreaker flyer for their first show at Gilman Street in 23 years. And I happen to have met her at a book signing for the second book in the Rad Women series at Green Apple, where they were also giving away a 7-inch and a poster. And I, we had that signed for my 10-year-old, who was completely enamored at the time. So I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, there's so much to talk about. And as you've heard from our podcast, we love to talk about how punk has influenced people's lives as they've gotten older um, and how they take what they've learned there and move it into their adult lives. So maybe we can start with that. How did you get involved with punk? I had I have a older
2: sister. She's almost 10 years older than I am and she was like one of the first punks in LA. Oh. And so you know, I got I got dragged around to punk shows as like a 9-year-old, 10-year-old huh. um, you know, to to see X and the Minutemen quite a bit and um you know, all kinds of LA bands. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Bags and uh and so, you know, when I when I was really young, I was like, no, not another punk show. But then, you know, when I, when I was in middle school and then also high school and, you know, old enough to get around on my own, um, it was just the thing that I totally gravitated to. And so definitely had a massive imprint on me from really young.
1: Yeah. 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 Definitely.
2: Yeah, like I think she, you know, she from I think my 10th birthday, my sister gave me the Ramones, Ramones, and Sex Pistols records. So does that mean <laughs> it
0: was just, you were just inducted in, like by the time you were a teenager you just were going to shows and hanging out with punk rockers and yes. those were just your friends because you just, since you were doing it, since you were eight, I guess. So
2: Totally, and we were in like a shitty South Bay, you know, suburb kind of between San Pedro and Redondo
1: Beach, a place called Torrance. What an amazing place to be at that time, though with the music coming
2: out. Yeah, it felt, you know, by the time I was 16, I was like, I got to get out (laughs) of here. But in retrospect, it was a really great time to be in Los Angeles um, for punk and for skateboarding. And, you know, the people I met were, you know, we were all, we found each other because there wasn't many of us. Well, and yeah. I, I think that's a theme on your show.
1: It is. It is. Yeah, yeah. like
2: <laughs> you you find the people that you have an affinity with, and it was definitely punks and skaters at Were the time. Were you riding back then? Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, I started skateboarding also really young at like six or seven. And Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, it was just, I was just telling my daughter that after school uh, there was a phone booth – at like right outside my high school, and every day, um, under the S section, we would in Sharpie put like where we were gonna meet for skateboarding and the time. And nice. so, you'd go check the phone book at the at the phone booth. That's so rad. S- sucks for anybody that was, you know, <laughs> trying, tracking, to, use the trying to use the phone book, <laughs> yeah, it was so like cool, filled but... with Sharpie, yeah. yeah. So, it was like, uh, because there's it was no like, like, Safeway, parking like um... lot, Safeway parking lot, Safeway parking lot, six o'clock, and then and then like the eight skaters in town would all go there and Be try to s- skate things <laughs> that shouldn't have been skated on.
1: Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> what else are you going to do at that time? Yeah. I mean, I, f- I feel like that was like the, the plight of the skateboarder in the 80s and early 90s was like finding those things that you could make into it being skatable. Yeah, there was no skate parks at totally. that time. Yeah. Totally. So you have a, You mentioned your daughter. How old is your daughter? She's almost 12. Great. And how, how, so I would assume that there's a, that she's been obviously been around art and music and and these things since she was born. Essentially. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel like that influences her sort of in in terms of her like preferences around music and and
2: well, you know when she when she was a a baby and you know a toddler, and we used to take baths together. We'd always listen to punk, yeah. you know, in in the bathtub and 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 she was like around three or four, she said, she calls me Mimo. That's her mom name for me. She said, Mimo, do we always have to listen to kid music? Oh. And I, I realized that, that she thought, you know, minor threat was <laughs> kid music, you know, because <laughs> that that's what we listen to in that's the bath, so and she cute. wanted to listen to something else. It was
1: funny. That's really but, fun. Yeah, my, so my, my 10-year-old is like kind of taking her own route now in music so she's listening she used to call it nowadays music now nah, i don't like nowadays music she got really into musicals for a while and then yeah. and now she's like oh has hamilton
2: hit your house not yet uh, but
1: she's and now but now she's really into harry potter yeah yeah, yeah like really into it
2: yeah. like yeah my kid is still she yeah, i think she's gone through the entire series seven times that's Whoa. amazing yeah. yeah reading the in- yeah. yeah, she just finishes and then starts, starts
1: again. again. Yeah, reads yeah, all yeah, seven yeah. books. They're good. Yeah, it's such a. I mean, it really I'm is a kid. really into that. <laughs> <Harry> <laughs> me Potter too. Still, so <laughs> <laughs> me too. Um, so, talk a little bit about like early life too. I mean, because you've not only been involved in in the the punk and art scene, but the queer community as well,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and and an activist in all three. Um, so, talk a little bit about how kind of those work, you know, together. Because there's a, definitely a lot of crossover, but also for you personally, like how punk has influenced maybe your, your activism in the other two uh, communities that you're involved in.
2: Yeah, well, like I said, when I when I was 16, I just felt like I had to get out of Los Angeles and and I saw a zine review in MRR for um, for Tom Jennings zine. Uh, God, now I'm spacing the name. Uh, you know who I'm talking about? Homocore? Homocore, yeah, yeah Homocore. And... Um, and so I ordered Homo corn. It came to my house, you know, in, in my shitty suburb in LA and yeah. and I was like, Oh my God, there's like queer punks in San Francisco. I have to go to San Francisco. And um probably about a month later, yeah. packed up and you know, I graduated high school a year early, mm-hmm. took classes at community college. I knew I had to had to leave and and came to San Francisco and went to S F State and um you know i think the scene was small enough then in san francisco too that you you'd come and you'd meet all the people that you need to meet and, what year and was to that? form community i came to san francisco in 89 okay yeah
0: nice yeah. yeah that's a fun time to be in the bay area
2: yeah i mean san francisco was affordable yep and um you know and, and, and there like was a lot something of something happening houses. all the time yep. you know like arts and culture were just so, such a vibrant part of the city and such a, um, gorgeous history of, of activism and art and culture. And, uh, I, I just, I couldn't believe it. I was so happy to be here and, um, is, it's really funny. I found, been cleaning the attic for spring break. That's been my activity. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of the worst spring break ever. But um, I, I found all these old um, cassette tapes, and some of them were answering machine tapes. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and so I found answering machine tapes from when I lived in L.A., like right before I, I moved up here. And I had all these calls from people that worked at SST offering me this job there. Oh, wow. wow. And I don't have any memory of that. Because I think I was so excited to come to San Francisco so I was like, on, yeah. find my people in San Francisco. And I, I, it made me really think about that I did have a vibrant kind of life in L.A., like in the punk scene there. And I still have some of those connections. Um, and I totally don't remember being offered a job at SST. They're like, That's we so want you funny. to come book a Husker du meet Meat Puppets tour. Wow.
1: That's amazing. That's <laughs> and you were just like, San Francisco, got to go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so,
2: but it's cool to have those tapes, you know, and have, like, those old friends on. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, It was weird to sit down and listening. I it know. was an art to leave messages yes. on an on a answering oh, machine yeah. that's so oh. gone. Yes. Like, yes. you're such a nerd if you leave a message on a telephone now. I know. Totally. It's the worst, right? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> mean, I, always, I always
1: feel really self-conscious about it. Even, like, calling my wife. I'm like, I oh, don't message You know, like yeah, some you know it's so it's so different now. You, you know? leave long messages. I do, but I, I just do. read them now, so it's not so bad. Oh right, yeah, you transcribe. Re- yeah. yeah, that's fine. Well, because I, I, I remember all the things I want to talk about while I'm listening to the person saying, "Hey, you know, leave them." And that's the funny thing is, everyone's like, leave a message, and it's like, do you really want me to leave a message? <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm not sure I answered your question though, but yeah, yeah. So I came yeah. up and.
1: And well, I, like I found
2: the queer punks, you yeah, know, and, right. and, and I also like my first week in San Francisco, I went to a different light bookstore on Castro street and there was a big act up demonstration, a, a die-in yeah. with like a hundred people laying down on Castro street and people running around, um, with chalk drawing outlines yeah. like to oh, represent, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the dead, that yeah. the, the government was ignoring and, yeah. um, and i'd never seen like activism and art kind of merged in that way and so i think act up had a massive influence on on me as a, a maker of things too
1: mm-hmm. yeah they definitely yeah. Yeah, they were they were definitely taking the protest movement to a far more artistic side yeah and making it like fun and exciting and active and creative
2: yeah creative
1: so so you got up here you got involved in other things as well. Um obviously there the activism part of it but you know being a volunteer at Epicenter um and I don't even remember what years Epicenter was around. I know I played a few shows there and, and one of our mutual friends worked there as well, one of my closest friends. Um uh Another Miriam um, mm-hmm. worked at Epicenter, and but that that the, that place in and of itself really brought together quite a, a, a an amazing cross section of people, even from the punk community.
2: Yeah, so for sure. I'd love
1: to just hear a little bit about what it was like volunteering there and working with that crew because it was a pretty amazing place, and I, I think it doesn't get as much credit as it should sometimes. You know, I mean, I, people always talk about MRR, and they talk about, like... Yeah, and Blacklist Gilman was and Blacklist. in the back yeah. of, you know, of Epicenter. But Epicenter, like, I mean, it really was an amazing place, putting on shows, like, you know. Yeah,
2: I feel like we keep also talking about, like, pre-cell phones, but yeah. Epicenter also had an info yes. line. And mm-hmm. so, an info shop, basically, yeah. um, in the zine room, and, and I worked that phone line also nice. for part of my shifts. And there was, like, a binder with resources, so people would call and be like, where can I find... Right. housing or where can I find free food or yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. where Epicenter, can I find a health clinic and then you just like look it up and give them information like yeah, a, yeah, like an operator kind
0: of. Epicenter is also great if you're not you know before you're kind of plugged into a scene like it was where me and my friends would go first to go like mm-hmm. hang out in San Francisco you know before we sort of started meeting people up here but yeah
2: I like mean that was one of the gateway. great things about it too like uh, my, my good friend Guy um came to San Francisco from Ireland and, you know, I think her first day in San Francisco came to Epicenter and like volunteered for a shift. And yeah. I think a lot of people coming from out of town, it would, would come there and just volunteer. And, you know, there was some friendly and some unfriendly punks there, but oh, yeah. the friendly punks, you know, um, the, like Gordon was just like the sweetest person there. You must know Gordon yeah, know and, yeah. and Walter yep. Um Course, would Walter. just like greet, yeah. Walter was on the show. <laughs> can't, friend can't, of the podcast.
1: Can't count out smile, Walter.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, so there were there were guys like that who yep. would just like welcome every single person coming in and totally. be like, where are you from? What are you doing? Do you want to have a shift here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and um, and it was also like a great introduction for me into working um on consensus and yeah. being part of a collective um And also just like... That
0: helped you when you later started businesses, being part of
2: that, you mean? Um, I've never started a successful business. Uh (laughs) I mean, I I definitely, I have my book career, and I'm totally like so grateful for that. But it's only successful because I don't do any of the business part of it.
0: Just I'll draw. edit
2: that out. Yeah the the, the, the <laughs> skateboard <laughs> company is just like for fun. You yeah. know, it's not like.
0: But I mean, you know, when I I don't think successful. What's okay. a successful business? You know what I yeah. mean? I mean, a successful business can mean okay. a lot of different things. Here,
2: yeah, here is the thing that it gave me is, like, you have an idea and you can just do it. Right. You know, like, right. like I brought you guys all these posters tonight that that I've just like figured out a way to hustle printing for free. Yeah, it's amazing. And and that's that's the kind of like skills you get hanging out with a bunch of punks and collectives, like yeah, right. you know, how can you make your idea happen? And you know, it just took down a lot of barriers or like stop signs that I think a lot of people have in their creative life and mm-hmm. um and in their um, how do I say this? Uh you know, you. yeah. When when something came up in the community, it was like it was addressed. It wasn't right. like pushed right. under the rug, and right. and that that gave me really good skills as a young person because I think I started working there when I was like nineteen. Yeah. You know, and it really kind of set my path as as a young adult in a way to like deal with conflict and um, you know and and to be able to like. Get together with a group of people, work collaboratively, and make stuff happen and right. I think a lot of times we're we're told or we we think we have to make things in isolation, and especially as artists, like mm-hmm. that you have to work alone in your studio and mm-hmm. and um, that's never been a way I approach things
1: well i I also think the interesting thing about epicenter beyond that part of it where there was a you know you basically had a bunch of people working there from different backgrounds with you know, some of the shared interests, obviously, because there was the music part of it, but the fact that it was a, it was a collective and it worked. Um, and also that there was events pulled off there. I mean, one of the hardest things I ever did in, you know, when I was younger was booking shows and putting on shows in you know, in a town that didn't have any colleges venues. So we had to like be creative, like rent the community center or, you know, like find a coffee shop that we would beg and plead with to do shows. Um, one of the, I think one of the the most amazing events that I went to in the early nineties was the, there was, it was like a women in music weekend or really a women in activism weekend at Epicenter. And, you know, people like Ramona from, from um, bottom of the Hill were there talking Mm -hmm. about running a, you know, a, a business, not just a business, but a music business as a woman and how difficult it was when she first started to book talent and how much easier it got as their reputation grew but that it took a lot of work, and people mm-hmm. talking about artwork and creating and making things um and being activists in the community w- like
2: yeah, I mean wait. we should shout out Miriam Wilding here because yeah. she she, <laughs> she was a on. big part yeah. of um planning that weekend, yep. yeah, that was amazing and and you know, and Lydia Eli um, Lydia talked Eli about was, yep. her work with uh, coalition on homelessness yep. and doing the street sheet and
1: yeah that was awesome yeah I, I, yeah, I think Miriam was one of the coordinators for the whole weekend yeah and Jenny and Iriah yep Iriah, as well. yeah, yeah who I saw at her at her memorial and,
2: yeah
1: um helped me get some bands booked for that, and did a beautiful ceremony for her
2: mm-hmm. um
1: and that that just that group of of people and specifically the women that worked at epicenter, I feel like really like. Stepped it up beyond being just, like, part of the community, but, like, being an example to other communities of, like, hey, this is what we are all about, and this is what we can do. And, you know, I was fortunate enough that weekend that Siren got to play as well, which was amazing. And Miriam always did things in a way for us because she was, like, our promoter, you know, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, she did a lot of our show bookings, and she was basically the fifth member of the band when I was in the band, Um She did things that were really, like, always, like, pro-community. You know, we played Women Against Rape benefits. We played benefits for uh, homeless youth. We did all kinds of stuff and used whatever popularity we had to bring money and, and, you know, kind of notoriety to causes that were important to her. But that weekend specifically, I felt like so much community that weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, And, it it, like, we were all involved in political activism at the time, but it really changed my opinion about how it could be done because she was so positive, too. You know, and I think that's one of the things about EpiCenter that I really loved is there were problems. There's always problems. But yeah,
2: of people, course.
1: People tended uh, to, like you said, like call each other out and deal with it rather than hide. Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah, we also did, uh, Gary Gregerson and I uh, did this thing called um, Q-Tip, Queers Together in Punk-n- Punkness. Yeah. <laughs> Q-tip. What's that? Um, where we we book shows of queer bands yeah. and we thought we could probably like pull off maybe three shows. But then it was like it grew like fire, like yeah. fire around yeah. the country. We'd get calls from like all over the place. We have a queer band. Can we come play at yeah, the center? Amazing. And yeah. And it went on for a couple of years and it was like, we really thought, okay, tribe eight will play and then team yeah. Dresh will play. Right. And then, you know, that'll be it. (laughs) Um, Little did you know. Yeah, it was amazing. And so many bands came through there. I think like one of Sleater-Kinney's first shows was...
1: Was it was
2: that Q-Tip show, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, all kinds of cool bands played.
1: Yeah, I mean...
2: And it it was also a funny thing, because I forgot, maybe it was Rorschach played, Mm -hmm. and like somebody hung from the sewer pipe and it broke, and...
1: Um, it sounds
2: like Rorschach. Yeah, and, and I think it was. Yeah, it was Rorschach or Schwarzenegger? What was that band, Schwarzenegger? No, yeah.
1: I don't. I don't. I'm not sure. Maybe I know that British
2: band. Anyway, yeah. some really gnarly band played, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and someone was hanging from the sewer pipe, and yeah. and it broke, uh. and like all the sewage seeped uh. down into close contact down below, and then. The owner's like, you cannot do shows anymore. Um, And then at at one of the the monthly meetings, you know, collective meetings, Gary was like, but we're still going to do our Q-tip shows because, you know, yeah. It's these queer bands and, and no, nobody in the room wanted to be called out as homophobic. So everyone <laughs> would just kind of shut up and they're like, okay. okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> it's amazing.
1: Well, but also I think ha- like having a place for people, especially bands from, yeah. And it's, it's certainly not easy anywhere. Um, you know, and knowing what I know now um because of family members about even San Francisco in the seventies and eighties, it wasn't easy here either for people coming out. And, you know, this was a Haven in many ways. And there was many people here that were supportive, but you still had to deal with your family and this other, you know, bullshit societal stuff that was going on. Um, Like having a place for punk bands to come play, that identified as queer is amazing, like especially Mm in the early 90s. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, people always want to talk about how far we've (laughs) come. But, you know, I think current political, current political, uh, you know, environment, you know, proves otherwise.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I guess it was a way to kind of spread that feeling of like first opening up that homo-core zine for me is like, gosh, how can I... Continue to to spread those safe places for people to come and and be able to express who they are. You it's know? amazing because how
0: many first experiences did you give other people that that totally. you know that went to the show and went oh this is a thing like a safe place. These are my bands about me like I'm being represented here like that's amazing. You could have changed yeah, how people's
2: lives. It life. was amazing and you know now I kind of continue that work in the school that I'm in. Yeah, which is you well, know blows I, my mind to that, see all these like queer and trans kids being in class and totally thriving as academics and artists and not, like, stressing out about their gender, their sexuality. It blows me away. How did you get into teaching? How did I get into teaching? I started teaching really young when I was 23. Oh, so right after you landed here. Yeah, yeah. Started at Mission High School and then... Got a job straight away at Berkeley High and moved over to berkeley in ninety five right. and uh yeah and 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 then was really fortunate to be able to start a school for visual and performing arts public high school within Berkeley High through a gates Foundation grant nice <laughs> yeah and um and it's really become a safe space for queer and trans kids it's yeah. it's a very diverse school, but I'd say it's like 30 percent. That's amazing. Queer and trans. Yeah, it's amazing. So
1: I think this is the kind of connection that I like to draw in the show is, I mean, you just drew it for us. It's like I was doing Q-tip when I was like booking shows. And then I opened this school where now I feel like these kids have a place to go and have the same experience I had in their own way. And I mean, it's, you know, we interviewed Gabe Molina a few weeks ago, um, who played in a bunch of punk bands in the Bay Area, and now is the arts editor for KQED, the senior editor for KQED, and he actually said point blank, "I learned everything I know from punk, like writing zines. Mm. I learned how to write and edit, booking shows. I learned how to like be uh, an event planner. You know, uh, writing letters to people in." You know, because we all used to write letters, right? Yes. I mean, not all the time. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. my favorite thing when I was in bands was going to my P.O. box. Yeah. I yeah. loved it because yeah. I never knew what I was going to get. You know, I was going to get a seven inch from some band I had never heard of. Hey, can we play at Cafe This, you know, or whatever. But yeah. like, I, I think like hearing that is, you know, these are the things that I get super inspired about because I know for me, like what I do here, everything I learned from punk is why I do the business I do. Sure, we have a successful company, but the fact of the matter is, to the core, our business is people. We hire and train people that need a second chance. Mm-hmm. That's it. The rest of it is all icing, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. if I wasn't involved in the punk scene, I never would have done something like this. I wouldn't have been influenced to do something like this. I mean, you know, I definitely had giving and loving parents, but like the level at which we gave and loved and supported in the scene that I was involved in, and you know, we, we crossed over a lot in terms of the people we knew. Like, hearing the story about you teaching these kids and giving them that opportunity is, like, it's, man, it is inspiring. I love it. Like, it makes me feel really good. It's like the, I can I, I can relate it to my daughter's reaction when, when she saw you and Kate at the bookstore. Mm. Because we already had the first book, mm. and we had been reading it regularly. And I was like, oh, my God, look who's here. Like, we didn't even know. We were just oh, making a know? regular yeah. visit to Green yeah, Apple yeah. Books. You know? for
2: that, um... California Bookstore Day, exactly. Yeah, Independent and so, Bookstore Day. Yeah,
1: and yeah. And, I, and so I, when I got her the record and she she had you two sign the poster, it was like, it probably was her like eye opening experience. You know, what I mean, she's like, oh my gosh, there's people making art and music and you know records or whatever because she didn't know what was on the record until we got home. Yeah, you know, and posters and and they're they're awesome and amazing and like they're actual people, you know, like we've been reading the book, but she, she didn't, it's hard to connect that when you're like seven years old. Right. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's such a, it's such an amazing experience to be able to like see that for yourself, you know? And I think like some of what we miss now with so much Facebook and internet is that, you know, the connection.
2: Yeah. I mean, well, Kate and I do so many events, especially, you know, last month, March for Women's History Month, we were booked almost like, Three, four times a week at libraries
1: or schools or bookstores. Um, and you two are doing, great. but you're doing corporate events too now, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Didn't I you see Gotta bring about that, that up. Well, you know? no, I. I we... Yeah, I mean, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We did. Are you gonna make me talk about
1: that? Well, I. So, <laughs> no. from the so I'll, I'll make it easier. So I'm
2: like we do public
1: libraries and, I know. and, yeah. not, and not, public schools. Not, We're not, the good guys, Kevin. but yes, ninety percent of our of our of our clients here are tech companies. And
2: yeah. then I
1: get then I get to do and be kinder on price to my friends like Jawbreaker and nonprofits because we you know we can we can margin up the stuff for the companies that can pay for it. Yeah, have to justify your life. You no, know, no, but I'm I'm saying this because. I think it's important that corporate people, especially millennials, hear and see the things that you and Kate are doing. It's mm-hmm. really important,
2: yeah, true. And you know, I have to say that what what he's referring to is that I just did a thing at Facebook and Apple. yeah <laughs> And so, um I actually have a regular gig at Facebook once a month, yeah, thank God, um, though, you know what I mean where i where I teach paper cut, and Mm -hmm. book binding. Awesome. And um, they actually have this incredible thing called the analog lab. Yeah, where workers can just um, leave their desk and go and make things with their hands, which it's like every job should have that. It's amazing to, like, get off your machine and do something physically with your hands. And, you know, and I bring me, like, a total weirdo into that space you know it's like I don't sanitize anything and and you know it was eye opening for me because I have I had a lot of um, notions about who the tech worker was based on you know what's happened to San Francisco and we don't need to spend a lot of time talking about that but it's you know not the San Francisco of our youth anymore and a lot of the wealth that's come in as does not have a lot of respect for the arts or the culture of the city. And, and so that's who I, I assumed that, you know, it was all tech bros, but it's totally not the case. And it's like mostly people of color that come to these workshops that I do there and um, people from all over the world and like really sweet people. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it really made me check my assumptions and, Um, And doing that work also allows me um, to have some resources that I can do some cool stuff with. Like I've started a scholarship program with my Facebook money. Nice. And, you know, like being able to like donate to things that you normally couldn't donate to. And um, so I just see it as like an extra thing that I'm doing that's allowing me to do things I've always wanted to do, which has been amazing. And I probably shouldn't say this on the air, but I print posters there every time I go because they have equipment that I don't have, and they're really generous about letting me um, make stuff.
0: That's the modern-day Kinko scam. It's it, amazing.
2: It is 100%. The, yeah. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Kim McGee and uh, oh, quali- Kim Quality McGee. of Life Kim. Yeah, who used to give everybody free flyers. free, free flyers. <laughs> <laughs> And um, Kinko's out near SF State. But, I, I um, actually
1: just had a back and forth with her the other day. Do you, do you know Chuck Goshert? No. From Monsoula? Play guitar in Monsoula. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he, uh, he, I play music with him now, and he, he's writing. He's a writer. Um, And he he asked me to reach out to Kim and get her email address because he wrote an article about something that happened way back when, and she's somehow involved in it. So I had a little, like, hey, Kim, can I get your email address? Yeah, Kim is totally
2: responsible for all the zines in San Francisco in the 90s. Oh, yeah,
1: 100%. (laughs) Yeah, and probably many of the inserts in 7 Inches. and. Most of the flyers, and, yeah. <laughs> and so on and so but forth.
2: You're right, it is a total kinko scam. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So, who books you there? Because one of my former employees is one of the people that that arranges events there. Named Chase. His name's Chase. Do you know Chase? No, I haven't met Chase. Okay. Yeah, he's yeah. he does the artist in residence program. At, at,
2: yeah, that's yeah. another cool thing. You know, it's like. Corporations are picking up where our government is lacking in supporting the arts. You know, it's like right now for the new book, I'm researching the WPA and uh, so amazing in the federal arts program. So amazing what the government used to do to support the arts and and how far we've gone astray. And, you know, it sucks to Mm -hmm. have you know, corporations pick up the slack for that, but it's like you go to any museum show, it's
1: all like corporate sponsored. Yeah. yeah, it is. Or or people with a lot of money that used to, you know, basically own corporations before they went public or had lots of shares in corporations or were investors in corporations, right? I mean, um, yeah, it's been that way at MoMA for years, right? You go and, yeah. and it's like somebody's private collection mm-hmm. or it's a corporate sponsored collection. You know, so it's uh, it's definitely, you know, but in some ways, given what's going on right now, I, I actually am glad that they're picking up the slack because I think should the current administration have their way, there would be no funding for the arts whatsoever and no funding for public schools either. You know, so mm-hmm. if we don't have people that care that have come from, you know, backgrounds where they didn't have the things that they would want to see kids have now, we would be in some trouble, you know, and and I also think it's their responsibility, you know, and I, we we talk about a lot of our own stuff on the show, too. And you've listened to it. I mean, I could do what I'm doing here at another company, um, probably making more money, you know, quite honestly. But I think I owe it to my community because when I was in trouble in in the later 90s and needed help, San Francisco was here for me, you know, and there was great drug rehabilitation services and things that I couldn't have gotten anywhere else. So being able to stay in the city and hire and train people is my give back, you mm-hmm. know. And I wish more people would look at their jobs that way, you mm-hmm. know. And but it's funny because the people we have on too, like Walter, you know, and yeah, Martin and you, um, Cynthia. I mean, she's she's involved in the arts as well, and you know, mm-hmm. I feel like uh, people are using their their sort of their now their collective uh, creativity to do really good stuff in the world. So. Mm-hmm you know yeah let let the corporate people sponsor us a little bit
2: <laughs> yeah you know and 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 as far as like my my book career too yeah. um i have to say i'm totally grateful to to have the press that i have which is ten speed which was independent for many years but bought by penguin random house right. and you know to be able to just um not have to hustle at Kinko's or yeah, like right, or like right. to do a Kickstarter to right. make a book, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, to have, uh, you know, a great designer to work with and to have somebody book the book tours and yep. to have, like, plane tickets paid for, you know, like all of that kind of stuff at my age yeah. too. I'm just, like, totally grateful um, yeah. and feel fortunate to have um, – you know, I think back in the day we would have called that being a sellout, you know, right. but, um, you but know. Just and it's more
0: I'll, you, though. You know, it's like you just get to do more things. I like. do.
2: Like to not have to think about that stuff of like, you know, I know when, when, when Martin was on your show, he talked about how hard it was. And Cynthia, too, yeah. to, to make a book happen. And, you know, that I don't have to think about that stuff but i can also like ask hey can you do recycled paper like to <laughs> right. use like do the small things that that i right. do ask for At you know our book on city lights i asked them to find a printer in the u.s and they did that's amazing um, which was so cool because most books are printed in china or india
1: yep. oh, china.
2: um yeah yeah, yeah and I have to come over on china
1: is, is a huge paper printing yeah
2: They're our huge our first book actually um City lights first printed it the first edition in in China, and it was coming over on on a boat and the boat hit ice and it was delayed like a few
1: months oh, yeah. yeah
2: and it was like let's find a printer in the u s it was a, I I I would prefer to print in the u s anyway, so that was a good excuse <laughs>
1: yeah. um, so talk a little bit about that how did that evolve? I mean you know you're obviously many of us in the in sort of the underground, in the art scene knew your illustrations and your drawings, and I mean, you've got stuff all over the world. We talked about Miriam's brother seeing one of your pieces hanging in a in a restaurant in, in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, so <laughs> you cool. know, he's like, he texted me one day. He's like, "Do you know Miriam Stall?" I'm like, uh, "Yeah, why?" And he's like, "I just saw one of her pieces hanging in a restaurant in Richmond, Virginia." That's pretty awesome. Yeah,
2: yeah I mean, that's the other thing that that, that about making books is is that I can put, you know, a hundred illustrations in a book and you can buy it for, you know, 10 to $15. And it, so it's like totally accessible. And it is this kind of punk way of thinking yeah, about totally. distribution of ideas. Um, you know, in that first book, Rad American Women, A through Z, at this point, there's over 100,000 of them out in the world. And, so cool. you know, like that's something I could have never done on my own. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Um, and also, you know, we thought, oh, we're in the Bay Area, like, Bay Area, like, radical moms are going to like this book and yeah. buy this book. And we thought maybe we'll sell, you know, a couple hundred. And, mm-hmm. okay. you know, before it even came out, it sold out. Yeah. And there was a desire for it. When it came out, there was nothing like it. And, you know, stories about strong women. Yep. Um, four kids. And... uh you know, it was, it was shocking and it still is that it it hit a nerve and continues to. And, you know, so we've, we made three books in that series. Mm -hmm. Um, Rad Women Worldwide was the second. Um, Looking globally, yeah. <laughs> and we didn't do it at A through Z because there's obviously um, alphabets well, yeah, so around the, the world that the aren't A through women Z of,
0: of, of like the universe.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, the the next one we we got a lot of feedback on book tours from kids. Like we make something about kids, yeah. which we were nervous about at first because you know, like a kid could do something so cool and then grow up and be a total.
1: Dick, you know, (laughs) so it's like absolutely (laughs) so we were
2: nervous about it at first, but um, we we made Rad Girls Can, um, which um, which is a book I really love, that was the last one, and now we're kind of veering away from it because um, we kind of started a trend in publishing. Now there's like hundreds of books about like strong radical women, which is amazing to see, yeah, um, which I'm stoked about. A lot of people send me pictures of these books that they call copycat books or whatever. Like, look at this, this makes me mad. But I'm like, the more the merrier, you know. I don't love them all, but, you know, some of them are great. So um, it's amazing that there's so many now. And so we decided to do um, another A through Z book that's going to be about movements and moments in American history. So like A is for Alcatraz, the occupation of Alcatraz. B is Black Lives Matter. See is the Kambahi River Raid, mm-hmm. so like that. Amazing, that's <laughs> yeah, great. And, yeah, so, so more more of a challenge for me too to move away from just doing portraiture to doing like these scenes that are more about like movements and not individuals.
1: Yeah. So, how did you and Kate meet and decide to do the book? I mean, what was the first? What was the impetus for the first for the the Rad Women A to Z? Uh,
2: Kate. I had done um, some
1: art for some
2: previous projects that okay. Kate edited. Um, she did an encyclopedia project where okay. where they gave artists and writers different words to oh, cool. make stuff on. Yeah, it's a yeah. pretty cool project. So I did stuff for that. And she had a two-year-old when my daughter was about eight mm-hmm. and... Um, you know, was reading a lot of A through Z books, Mm -hmm. you know, where like a is for Apple. Right. Mm -hmm. And the idea came to her and she reached out to me in this really long email, pages and pages email about her idea and asked me if I'd illustrate. And so I wrote back, sure (laughs) one word. And we met at a cafe and, you know, I went home that night and did like six of the illustrations. We kind of worked out, you know, a through M at that point. And, um, and I sent um Kate wrote the first like A through E and I got the illustrations together with it. And at the time I was so naive about book publishing that I was like designing the book at the same time. Like I didn't know that I didn't right. have to do that. Coming from punk stuff yeah. where you just like do uh-huh. all do the parts. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. And um and I sent I sent that to Michelle T who's was at the time a San Francisco writer. And she had an imprint with City Lights and I Mm -hmm. knew she was pregnant and might be interested in the book. And I didn't hear from her for like a month. Mm -hmm. And then I got an email from her like, sorry, I have pregnant brain. Um, I love this idea. I love this book and I want to make it and let's meet at City Lights. And we met at City Lights and the editor there, Elaine, was like, I love this idea. You know, have it done by the summer. And so Kate and I went and worked on it and... Got done. Yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. That's and and City Lights had never made a children's book. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, okay. and they had never had a New York Times bestseller.
1: Really? Oh, yeah, geez. which is
2: shocking That's to really me. Shocking. That is. Yeah.
1: That is amazing.
2: Yeah, and so it it huh. kind of broke many rules. <laughs> yeah. In, in a way, that book is. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: Was it challenging? Did they need the art in any specific format that was challenging or anything, or is it just I, give them whatever? And... I
2: totally fucked that up because okay. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> right. You know? I was so say. like, so like I'd make a paper cut. I use like black paper and I cut out with an exacto knife mm-hmm. and then put white behind it. And mm-hmm. at the time, I was doing them really huge too, and then gluing them to paper, and then taking a photograph of it, and then. I didn't know how to use Illustrator really so I'd drop it into Illustrator and go live trace. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. just
2: like that was the file. And it would like lose all this detail. I had no idea what right. I was doing. Sure. So now, which is so great, I just um, make the paper cut and then I just scan it
1: mm-hmm. and make
2: it so it'll fit on the scanner that I have and give it to the designer.
1: And they they take care of it. Yes. That's that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the way to go, right there.
2: Yeah. Only I'm doing, for the new book, I'm doing all watercolor backgrounds. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty.
1: That is really cool. cool.
2: Yeah, I got tired of just um, the portrait with like the digital color in the background. So, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: yeah, so the new book's going to look pretty different.
1: Nice. That's amazing, though. So, Mm Or Do you feel like this is going to keep going? Or do you guys have other stuff that you're already like, oh, now we can do this? Uh,
2: I, I've always been really open to whatever comes my way. Yeah. So, you know, I've had other opportunities to do various things because of the books. And, right. um, you know, so if any of the listeners out there have a good idea.
1: yes. You're not hard to find on the internet. Yeah, you as can I find said, me. as I said in our post about you coming on the show, just Google her name. There's, there's, <laughs> I can't even do the whole like here's the things that she's done because there were so many. When I did the Google search, I was like, oh man, what am I going to post?
2: That's, I don't think of myself like that. It's so weird, but it's true.
1: <laughs> it's, New York Times bestseller will get you a lot of high. Google I guess hits. so. I guess so. Um, do you have any events or
0: talks coming up that you want to plug? Um, this is going to go up on Monday.
2: I think just look for that new book in twenty twenty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. For
1: sure. What about the school? Are there any events or things coming up? Do they do any public art shows kind or teacher? Conference? No, we just had our big show for the year. Okay. Yeah. And any any performances or anything like that they do? Let me think.
2: Well, not that I can think of. Okay. Sorry, Kevin. Got, do you have anything? you've Yeah. Like to do you promote? guys yeah, want to plug anything? What are you
1: guys anything. up to? Put you on the spot. <laughs> I do this all the time. I don't want to plug anything. I've got. a have got. Well, I've got a, a band I'm working on, but that's going to be a while still because our, our uh, former singer resigned. So we gotta. Here's my statement about <laughs> quitting the band before we part ways.
0: In life, you can do anything. But you can't do everything. That's true.
2: That's right. You were the singer and you left? Yeah. Wow, I'm in the middle of band drama right no. now? No. <laughs> no, 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 no.
1: You no. chose this creative project over that one. It was stressing me which out. Which I totally understand. Yeah. You know, this is a, this tends to be like, this has been like very easy conversational, you know, and, and, we work well together, yeah. and so he's got a skill set that I can't replicate, and I hopefully I have some stuff that he can't, you know, because I, I can't edit, <laughs> so I, or or do the production stuff, so he's, yeah. he does all of that. I do want to ask about the Jawbreaker flyer, because there's, uh, you did the flyer for their first show at Gilman, and I believe it was 23 years, and as yeah. you probably know now, I do all their merchandise, and... I was standing at the table, actually, right by you and uh, a couple of your friends while you were dancing your asses off Yeah, and um, <laughs> Before ha-
2: I ventured into the pit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. When you, were, when
1: you guys were having the dance party in front of the merch table. Yeah. And, I was, and Kim McGee was standing there as well. That's with, right, yeah. With one of her kids. And, and Walter. Yeah, and yeah. Walter. Oh, yeah, Walter always stands close. So, yeah. um, so talk about the subject and, matter. And uh,
2: Michael, Michael Delgado. Yeah, was Michael there, was yeah. there,
1: and Chris Sherry was standing with me behind the – Yeah. Which was fun. Talk about the subject matter, because the, the subject matter is a relatively famous mission uh, district character.
2: Yeah, it's a dude named Swan yes. who hung out at Adobe Books, which is a place that uh, if you were in the mission in the 90s, you definitely went to Adobe Books at some point when it was on 16th Street, right around the corner from Epicenter and Blacklist. That's right. And Swan um, always had pigeons in his coat, kind of mm-hmm. tucked in his coat and on his shoulder and in the paper cut I made on his head as well. And he he fed pigeons, but he was also a poet mm-hmm. or is a poet and a writer. And he apparently came to San Francisco from the Midwest um, during the 60s and was going to do a story about hippies and took some psychedelic drugs and um he was a pretty you know well-known journalist in the in the midwest and he he kind of spun out and it i think it triggered some mental illness yeah. um doing the drugs and he ended up living on on the streets and continuing to write he carried around a typewriter and would write poetry and do zines and stuff and um and he was just a character that was always around. Yeah. Around, you know, sixteenth and Valencia. And so when when Adam asked me to make a flyer for that Gilman show, um, for some reason I equated Jawbreaker with Swan. Like <laughs> it was like the same time period yeah, in totally. the mission for me. Yeah. Like I, I can't tell you how many times we played um all the Jawbreaker <laughs> records yeah. at Epicenter, of you know. Um and And so it just it made me think of him. I don't know why, but I was just, like I, I was communicating with Adam, and it just the vision came to my mind that yeah. that's what I was going to do, and he was into it, so
1: Really appropriate.
2: Yeah, and it's kind of cool, like the people that know, know, and yeah. for people that don't know, it's just you know an interesting, weird well, image. Now, of now
1: many more people. A know. guy with some pigeons. Yeah, now many hanging more around people will know. but um, we're getting close on time. And it's been a great show. I mean, yeah, these, the, the hour always goes really fast.
2: Yeah, I feel like I talk too much. No way. No way. I was no really worried. Way. I was like, no. I'm not going to have enough to say. No way. No, it's, <laughs> I feel
1: like, oh my gosh, I wish we had another hour. To just, I know. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I'm, I'm actually like, I've been thinking about this more and more like cycling back through the guests we've had, because it always feels like when we're done, we're like, oh my God, there's so much more stories to talk about you know and so i've been considering like do we want to bring people back do we want to bring people that know each other back and do like a group show um i had an offer from a woman in the mission who has an art space to do a live cast there so i was thinking about all the people that have been on from san francisco and just doing like a show with everybody at one time and kind of like talking about how we're all connected
2: yeah i think we all know each other in some way i was
0: just thinking when you were talking earlier miriam that we might have a fan that's gone all beautiful mind and just has like the lines on the wall connecting all the guests (laughs) and like the epicenter circled of the question mark yeah
2: you know a piece was made like that at adobe books all the artists in in this yeah yeah artist um amanda eicher Uh, Who worked there? Do you know her? Yeah, yeah. So Amanda made this insane grid of like lines and names of like all Bay Area artists who like kind of had something to do with Adobe, and uh, and it was at the Oakland Museum for a while. They like took it out of Adobe and put it
1: there. That's amazing. Cool. Yeah, Yeah, I've seen one that Aaron Cometbus did of all the Gilman bands. Oh yeah, I remember that too. Oh, yeah, for like yeah, the yeah, twenty-five Gilman, year yeah. reunion, Gillian family something. tree or whatever. Yeah, yeah. which is incredible. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, so yeah, I mean, so we'll see. I mean, that would be the only thing I would plug is we may we may do a live a live cast at some point and do it at su- Succession Art and in the Mission.
2: Yeah, that'd be fun, or we can just meet for a coffee and chat
1: exactly (laughs) exactly with microphones with
2: microphones (laughs) thank
1: you
0: so much for coming on yeah really appreciate it my pleasure
2: it's really fun yeah
0: thanks thanks for listening everybody ciao Mr. Narrator this is Bob Dylan to me